Welcome to These Old Dogs, episode two. I am your host, Kevin Tucker. It is July 15th, 2021. I acknowledge that I am on occupied Lenny Lenape and Susquehannock lands. And this is the second episode of the podcast, the first in which I'm embracing the idea of not over explaining the references in the title. Uh, and also, very quick, quick and succinct follow up to the first episode, which I got a really good response from. I heard it being called uh, fun and freeform. It is most definitely freeform. This thing is just like uh, full non-sequenturs. That is for sure. And um, not a lot of things I do get called fun. So it's kind of nice to do it. And also, I like doing it. It's one of the first podcasts that I've done that um, I've listened back on just because I liked the music. I liked them doing it. It was kind of fun to do is cool it's something very different for me i am a primal anarchist writer you can find out about all those projects at blackandgreenpress.org um uh this is a reflection on my experiences of being an anarchist and being in the punk world and the combination and, and intersection of those things and all the kind of ridiculous that comes about because of that some of the bullshit that's happened a lot of the bullshit that's happened memories just i don't know me being an old man and talking life tips and apparently people were listening and liking it so i'm gonna keep doing it uh, i did fix the audio problem that i was having with the first episode uh and i appreciate everybody who's bearing with it and for all the people who are annoyed by having to listen to me talk into their left ear for most of that episode but i fix it going forward uh, I, there is a home for the podcast now blackandgreenpress.org backslash these dash old dash dogs um probably wish there was a quicker way to do that or deal with it i don't know uh i'll figure something out but currently going through the process of getting it on all the platforms and everything too so that will make it easier in time so uh opening up there that was off rotten when you support these fucking bastards from the system works for them lp uh i've just been thinking a bunch about um, uh, and, um, they were, you know, the epitome of this anarchist band and, um, that just puts it out there. I mean, there's no question about it. Like these, the lyrics and everything about it, it was, it's all there. Um, uh, I always loved them. Also, I really like Dave. I spent a lot of time. I spent like 10 years in Pittsburgh, more or less. Um, my band Peregrine, we were really centered out of Pittsburgh for a long time. Um, you know, Dave was, who's the vocalist, 
was the secretary at the tattoo shop. I was getting tattoos from all the time. My boss's nephew was a tattoo artist, and he always owned money, so I got to trade overtime for tattoos. But uh, you know, life tip here: don't don't get all the major space on your body covered when you're in your early twenties. You'll you'll want some for later, um, or you'll make better decisions when you're older. Most of the time, but. Um, I got to see Dave all the time and talk to him all the time. I always really liked him and really appreciated him. I really loved what Rotten was and was about. There's some things about it that are kind of like to the extreme. Um, in fact, so with this song, uh, when you support these fucking bastards, like I love the intensity of it. I love the energy of it. I love everything about this. There's also like straight up backing vocals where somebody's just screaming ass and it is kind of funny. Uh, so, you know, there's there's all the aspects of there. Um, Dave's always like a really sweet kind of fatherly guy. Um, I always appreciate him, especially because, you know, he was still going up and doing Osrodden and Behind Enemy Lines when he's using a cane. As somebody who's used a cane, uh, like I used a cane solely for three years, and I'm still kind of off and on with it, depending on how I'm doing I am disabled. Um, and... There's a lot of body issues and things that go into it, or, or pains. Um, you're probably getting some background noise of my dogs playing. Uh, but I figure this is entirely appropriate background noise for this podcast. So, I'm going to continue it. I'm going to allow this. But anyways, um, you know, he's always somebody that I kind of like felt uh, good feelings about. Um, and I really kind of like fatherly situation. Um, I broke some homophobes nose one time and, uh, you know, he, he saw me and he saw me standing there with blood on my hands and I have PTSD. I think I was just like a little bit dissociated right afterwards. Um, and he saw me with blood on his hands. He's like a very kind of fatherly way. He's like, let's go get you washed up, which is, uh, always kind of a, a cool experience, but, um, you know, not really proud of fighting, but. I'm not. I'm not crying over breaking a homophobe's nose. Um, so yeah, uh, Dave had columns in Profane. Um, I actually can't remember for a while. There was a bit of hard times with me as far as like when he was in the Behind Enemy Lines era. In some ways, because uh, he had done some stuff around when uh, George Bush got elected, and I can't remember if it was in Slug and Lettuce or in Profane Existence, but it had a column for a bit about, like, you know, some kind of pro-voting stuff. And this is, like, a four-year, like, a leap-year plague with an anarchism that every four years somebody's going to be like, oh, electoral politics will be the kind of way out and stuff like that. And um, it happens, and sometimes even people who've been around for a long time get involved with it. I, I don't follow where he's at now. I don't know where he's at now, but I do know... After that, when Behind Enemy Lines came out, the first LP, they did put out, like, the Green Anarchy primer in it, which was really fucking cool and not something that happened a lot. So, no stoked on that, but, you know, I do. I do definitely have some love for Ross Rodden and, and some serious appreciation, and as time has passed, um, I would say increasingly more so. Um, but, yeah, I've just been thinking about them. And that's been the kind of fun thing about this podcast is, Gives me the chance to just like think about shit I haven't really thought about much for a long time and put it into into words or or anything really. And so it's given me the chance to kind of reflect on that. And also it's interesting for me too. Um, I have dissociative identity disorder. Uh, just the quick version of that. Uh, basically what it means is it's a 
trauma response. My body was reshaped and my mind and body were reshaped by trauma. Um, I'm not going to get into details of it for a lot of reasons, but also because I'm not going to do a content or trigger warning on this episode. I'm not going to try and talk about anything that would, would trigger somebody potentially. Um, so, uh, basically I was like a, a survivor of childhood sexual assault and, um, the the diagnosis used to be called multiple personalities there's a lot of reasons that that's problematic there's a lot of reasons that it doesn't fit uh but effectively what ends up happening is as a kid um your body creates a defense mechanism where you you split off into different alters and different parts and alters are like a full person parts are just like fragments so trauma kind of lives in all these different places and all these different people that kind of deal with different aspects of life and it doesn't kind of follow along traditional psychological lines because it's not breaking down along like id, ego, superego, or anything like that. It's like this is kind of like the world that a, a child could dream up of and the kind of roles and people that could exist in the pattern that would continue existing. And I talk about this stuff. I know there's people probably like, oh, well, he's crazy or whatever. Fucking, I'm not, I don't care. Like, whatever. We're not dealing with that shit. Also, people probably be like, oh, that probably explains this and that. It's like, it, you probably haven't seen me switch. You're not dealing with any of this other stuff, but I deal with all different iterations of myself um, at all times, and uh, it it gets kind of complicated. Oh, I mean, not kind of. It's an extremely complicated thing. It's like a whole other subject. But effectively, these periods of time that I'm talking about, predominantly throughout the '90s, um, I was going through a lot of like really difficult times a lot of difficult circumstances and so there was like a lot of kind of patterning that happened in those times and and parts of my personality that that kind of came out or interacted with so it's like a strange sort of psychological endeavor to be doing a podcast talking about these kind of times because in a certain way like i'm interviewing myself i'm having discussions with myself and these things are coming up and then like one thing leads to another um an old friend of mine um, asked about the podcast link the other day and just like started thinking about it and like all the friends that I had and this this band of misfits and vagabonds that were like the punk scene and anarchist scenes that I had grown up with and associated with in, in St. Louis and elsewhere and you know the, there's just a lot of parallels um, with all this stuff and various things that is you know you get older and it's like this stuff is over 20 years ago for, for some of the stuff that's all the 90s stuff obviously is over 20 years ago so you just see it differently you reflect on it differently and you know the more i'm dealing with this and the more i'm kind of like going into this it's a cathartic process for myself in some ways just because like i'm actually dealing with and, and digging into stuff that i'm seeing in a different light now so uh i'm glad it's entertaining for other people and i'm glad it's a chance also to um, talk shit, talk about these scenes, and talk about a lot of things that are going on. Play music that uh, people possibly haven't heard or probably haven't heard, and um, do all that shit. But it's also it's good for me, which is why I'm doing another episode so quickly. So, on that note, let's take a break and play another song. Script, but without you we don't know how 
to expand it. Isn't it ironic? The opium flies at light speed, religion, contagion, superficial trend. Learn to face interrogation. If you're not up with light speed, narcotic intrusism is hate seed and sleep speed. Isn't it ironic? The opium flies at light speed, psychotic, narcotic, ideology. So that was Submission Holds Deadpan from the Waiting for Another Monkey L- uh, to Throw the Next Brick uh, LP. Uh, that was an awesome record, but also Submission Hold is a band that I really would love, you know, love doing on this podcast and having it in this kind of like format. Because like, as much as I can talk shit about a lot of things about punk, as much as I can be um, fairly surly, uh, and I'm also trying not to use the word curmudgeon as much i i said it way too many times last time i'm not doing it aside from the fact that i just said it but anyways um submission hold is like one of those bands that again another really super political band um like a huge kind of experience but like um they're one of the cool things about punk because like you can do fucking anything in this category right it's like this approach this ethos this this attitude 
And, you know, there's so many delineations for all the different aspects of it and all the different things that it could kind of be. But, like, there's fucking flute on this LP. Like, this record is amazing, but this is punk as fuck. Like, this is not heavily distorted guitars. This is not anything you would associate with most punk or with most cross, but it's also kind of in those same worlds. And um, there's a whole other discussion, and you can cause, like, some intense fucking debates, and I probably will... Part of me is just like, I'm going to go ahead and kick that fucking hornet's nest. And I don't know. I'll probably wait and see. I'm actually going to have a, a bunch of different guests. I've got people coming on, people lining up to come on and talk about a bunch of different stuff and, you know, have conversations. It'd be, you know, pretty fun, I think. But people will be stoked. I've got some some people I really love and respect that are going to be coming on, some people I don't know as well that I'm potentially going to be bringing on. Um different things coming with it but like uh one of the kind of spirited debates that will happen in a lot of this is like well what is hardcore like is hardcore this is hardcore like I, like I'll, I'll always specify emulation hardcore and if you have to specify what it is if you don't know like submission holds kind of fits that category born against could kind of fit that category despite the fact that you know they weren't really being put out by emulation but it's like this whole genre um of shit that just encompasses a whole thing and hardcore means a lot of things to different people and for me and for a lot of people just by gauging responses i got to kind of putting this out there like they also think the same kind of thing i do which is like chugga chugga mosh mosh jock bro douchebag shitty hardcore um and i hate the shit i don't have anything to do with it i also think like hardcore moshing is like fucking temper tantrums like whatever i know people do it and people come to peregrine shows and you'd see it in fact one of the funny things again back to this non-sequitur i got let's go spit a couple things off the second peregrine show uh we played in Asheville, and um it was like a combination of like all these metal people and like a bunch of hardcore kids and all this different shit and uh before we played all these hardcore kids started taking their pants off and they had like mouth shorts and mesh shorts on or whatever. And it was hilarious to get this reaction of like all these hardcore people just being like, why is everybody taking their fucking pants off? Um, and that was fucking funny to me. But like, there's this whole world of shit that it's super simplistic. You know, I mean, it's got a ton of energy to it and it's, but like the simplicity of it is what kind of creates that draw. Um, it's easy to remember all the lyrics and everybody's going to sit there and scream along. It creates a whole other thing, but, like, I don't know. It's not anything that ever appealed to me. But, you know, people also call hardcore, like, bad brains, uh, like, hardcore punk and stuff like that. And there's a lot of hardcore punk that I do actually really like um, and kind of come back to it. And it's like you get to a band like Propagandi. Propagandi's also fucking punk. Propagandi was pop punk. Propagandi was this really hardcore punk. Hard, and Propagandi is who Propagandi is now. And we'll be talking a lot more about propaganda eventually on this. Um, I'm not going to get it quite as much now, but the, like a band that has really evolved alongside um, my own interests and my own tastes in in music and like evolved in ways that like they really are like the cream of the crop. But like categorically, you know, where would you put it? Um, does this matter? I don't know. Are people going to do it? Yeah. In fact. I could be very, very strict categorically about metal. Um, I could really go on about a lot of that shit. Um, I don't know if people care, and it's not even necessarily anything that'll probably even ever really come up on here too much. Uh, but 
Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is a, this is a thing. But back down my non-sequential pathway here. Um, I thought it was funny. It's like we played with Cacosocracy at that show, and they're a profane band and stuff like that. Very straightforward kind of crust. Um, and show the sign of different relationships I had between punk and metal and all this different shit and ideas about selling out or whatever. I don't know. Like, even my own punk ideas about how these go. And uh, when we play with Cacostocracy and they got the advanced, unmixed version of our CD, A Grand Curse, the debut album, uh, I guess they're like, we'll see if they can pull this off live. It's like, yeah, whatever. All right, there's just kind of ridiculous ideas and ridiculous notions that go around. Um, I don't think it's particularly difficult. I mean, I like it. Our paragraph is what I like and what I do. Um, in fact, uh, assuming that there's probably a lot of people who don't know that I was in a uh, death metal band called Peregrine, uh, very explicitly anti-civ, uh, very straight up about it. Um, crusty death metal, it's my band, and uh, there's more that's going to be coming out, and hopefully we'll be playing shows again. It's just a matter of finding a drummer. So that's also me saying... I am looking for drummers. Um, I'm a, I'm like North Lancaster County, so like kind of between Harrisburg and Philly, north of Lancaster, within range of Baltimore. This is me putting it out on blast. If you can do this, if you're a metal drummer that loves punk and loves crust and loves and is an anarchist and all this shit, we're looking for you. I'm looking for you. We can fill everybody else out. Uh, but since I'm talking about it as a music podcast. Fuck it, might as well play a song. So, let me put a Peregrine track on. Oh, God, God. 
So that was the track Empire's Playground, which was off of the debut CD, which is called A Grand Curse. Um, Peregrine.bandcamp.com, all the music is on there and everything like that. There are CDs. We're really hoping to get A Grand Curse on vinyl and also get some future stuff on vinyl. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I make stuff that I like, and it's, that's it. That's what it sounds like. Un- unequivocally uh, anti civ anti-fascist uh anti-colonial you know but it, if you're familiar with who i am my music was never going to be any different than that so kind of the epitome of the ethos like i consider it in some ways still within that punk realm um of all the various things that can happen with punk and can exist within punk and this this anarchistic punk kind of like cesspool can create some really cool shit so there's that, but uh, I'm going to follow up some totally different here. Um, I mentioned Ebullition Hardcore, or Hardcore bands I associate with Ebullition. So that was Torches Jerome's track, The Guards Are Itchy, from their self-titled LP. Um, so that came out in 1999, which is the same year that the Bread and Circuits LP came out. Um, and I believe both of those were ebullition. I feel like very positive. I'm going to double check. Um, but Sarah Kirsch, uh, rest in peace, produced some very amazing music in her lifetime. Uh, these two bands kind of back, like back to back, and I think everybody kind of has their Sarah Kirsch favorite band. 
Torches Rome, Bread and Zergets, um, both bands to me. Those records came out like at the same time, and both really fucking awesome. Uh, seeing, I, I I honestly can't remember <laughs> which bands I saw at which time, um, and they blend together. But seeing either Torches Rome or Bread and Zergets in a basement and seeing Zara's energy. It's just like infectious. I mean, it's like a huge thing for like this period of time and, and you know before and after. Uh, but that was always awesome to see. But one of one of the best things I saw about it, uh, I'm pretty positive, was Brent Circuits played at um, More Than Music Fest in Columbus in 1999, and they were right before the headliner, and the headliner was going to be Morser, and. Um, Brent Circus had been doing like in, in their show, like really talking between songs, which is something that like's hugely impacting on me. It's something I still carry forward, something that I love about this scene at this time. Uh that was very prevalent. Um like not not being afraid to just like put shit out there and just like stand behind it and unequivocally uh where where you're at. It's not like a lot of the shit now that doesn't say much of anything or do a lot of anything or like put it front and center, put the politics front and center, the anger front and center. Um, you know, that's a huge fucking loss. Um, and as much as there's ridiculousness about a lot of these times, as much as there could be a lot of bullshit and posturing, um, you know, they, that, that was something that happened. And, uh, Morser was dudes from like Sistral, these, these German hardcore bands that were like metallic. Like, I'm not, I'm not even sure what to call it. I guess you call them metalcore. Um, the title doesn't always seem to fit, even though it's exactly what it was. Uh, Sistral is a bit grindy. There's a lot of bands that are happening in Germany at that time, and they're really genuinely good. Uh, but Morser was like the, the hot thing for the second. I remember they were like supposed to heart, like headline. They had like these matching 666 jerseys. I mean, it's cheesy stuff, and it's cheesy stuff in like a way that like I love it. Like, I, I love ridiculous shit, I love dumb shit. Um, I like when things are just way over the top like that, uh, just because they're funny to me. I, I find it very entertaining. But they were like super over the top. They're getting super pissed off because Red and Circus were like talking a whole bunch at this fest, and it caused this uproar. But Red and Circus kept doing it, and they just stood by it and like this is what we're doing. It caused like all the at one point all the organizers of the fest were like on the stage, and it was it was a whole ordeal. But you know, I mean, things like that, like, to me, like, that's that's that fucking punk spirit. It's like, that's when, that's what I identify with. That's why it's when, I, when people could be, like, conservative punks and shit like that and all, all these different things. And, I mean, uh, Sarah was definitely socialist to me, like, on a different side of a lot of, a lot of the politics. But, um... You know, I mean, I identify all these things, and it's like that's important to me. That's that's fucking punk. That's anarchist. Um, this is like unquestioning, un unwavering. This is what it is, and fucking doing it. So, I don't know. I've got a lot of respect, and I have a very uh, sentimental, particularly about those albums. Like, there's a lot about uh, both those LPs that have kind of like a summer feel to me, and I listen to them more in the summer. Um, but just an intensity that I absolutely love and respect and very much encourage people to check out those records. Uh, both are self-titled. So that was Torches of Rome, but I, I imagine in time we'll probably get a lot more like 
uh, Sarah Kerr stories and stuff like that from some other people and some of the friends that I've got that are going to be coming on. But again, that Ebullition Hardcore is so hard to define in hindsight um, in a lot of different ways. But this kind of ethos and this kind of like vibe, like submission old and Brain Circus of Torture to Rome like it's a pretty cool gamut to be able to run and um that's that's a huge influence for for peregrine even though it's death metal like you can do all these different things so a lot of respect to that and uh encouragement to dig deeper on those so going to go a little bit sideways another one of the headliners from that uh fest with all that shit with morser and brendan circuits uh was anti-product uh, i probably want to do a whole bunch of shit about um, anti-civ bands in punk and in metal. Um, I've ended up doing a bunch of shit through like Black Green Podcasts or not, not so much there. I guess Black Green Press's Instagram and talking about some like uh, anti-civ shit. And there's been a lot. Also, I really want to get into talking about the lyrics behind a lot of the punk bands and the, the different ideas behind how you get this kind of like odd hodgepodge of, of people who would have considered themselves red anarchists but their lyrics were very anti-Civ. Um, anti-Product was more on the side of being like more very overtly anti-Civ, and Anti-Product was also one of the headliners for that. Um, Anti-Product started out as kind of like an Os Rotten clone, uh, and those first records are very much in that vein, very, very good. But I'm going to play um, a song off their LP, Deafening Silence of Grinding Gears.
Okay, so I got a bunch of stuff to say about that one. That album is really good. These songs are really good. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some tips for touring and tips for making punk music or making aggressive, angry music, ideally anarchistic. Um, Because while this album is good and while that song is really good, the guitar sounds like absolute shit. So all respect to Andy Brock. It's a good album. Um, the earlier ones, I think it was probably kind of covered up a little bit more in, in terms of how it was just more punk and you could kind of like soak things up by just not having as good of a recording or as good of a mix, um, or anything like that and kind of make things more forgivable. But like the guitar is very, very upfront in that. Um, and, uh, so, you know, there's a lot about it. I love a lot about it. It's cool. Uh, again, this is one of the ones that part of me wants to be like putting on the Peregrine cover list just because like I'd like to hear it with like a, a better guitar sound. So uh, a better guitar tone. Uh, but just like one of these funny things about this shit is like uh, the the first EPs when they came out, like I was booking a lot of shows and of course doing distro stuff. I mentioned that throughout the 90s. Uh, but just kind of like a, a sign of the times and the differences in the world in their is the first or second seven inch they had like phone numbers as the contact information i ended up talking to i think his name was chris the guitarist like a couple times um on the phone was just like randomly and um one of the times he's we were talking and needed to go because he was going to get his little brother from soccer practice and again i I mentioned it and there's not going to be any real reason why these particular things stand out but to me it's just kind of funny so it's not like no real good gossip there or anything like that. It's not like, ah, his brother was playing soccer with a dick. But it's just kind of funny. Like a, a different world than being, you know, varying degrees of teenagers and kids as well as being punks and involved in all this other shit. Um, but, yeah, so it's really cool. But I kind of want to give some tips here. So I've played guitar for a long time. I've, I'm a guitar nerd. I'm a guitarist. Um I write all the Peregrine stuff, I do all the vocals, um, all that. Uh, I am into guitars. I am not going to let go full bore on a lot of this stuff um, necessarily, but I kind of want to take this chance to give my old guy tips from a number of things. And so it's kind of like going to be something I do sporadically throughout, and it could be any kind of thing or any kind of different thing. I will say one of the best bits of tour advice I ever got was uh, if you're touring with another band, you're both using vans, when you park, park the vans bumper to bumper. It makes it a lot harder for somebody to break in and steal your gear. So, like, very classical joke within the music world of, like, playing music is when you got $5,000 worth of gear, and probably low, and a $1,000 van for a gig that pays 50 bucks. Like, that's... A lot of where it is touring is really fucking hard and a lot of tour stories you see and a lot of things that you've done i've done a lot of touring um you know i mean it was hard back in the fucking 90s when a lot of this stuff was happening it was hard in the 80s when a lot of this stuff was really like taking off and kind of like setting the patterns for it but like in the 90s you're having bands come through and it was like five bucks for a show or something like that like gas cost like 75 cents to a dollar at that time and people were still stealing gas all the time to make because you know you could and fuck it why not but like like that shit's just not really an option anymore and gas is 
way more expensive. Like the costs of touring are really hard. And it also is good to keep that in mind if you're thinking about touring, just because like I know a number of people who have died on the road. Uh, Peregrine, we were touring, one of the last tours we did was with Early Graves. And um, holy shit. Couldn't remember the name, Funeral Power. Uh, there's two bands, and I mean, again, this is one of those things that you kind of do. There's two bands taking one van, and they had one van with a uh, trailer hitch, and I had all the gear in one thing, and they're just kind of like sharing it. It's like ways to cut down costs. We played like five shows together. Uh, they split off, and they went towards like, I think the Northwest, and they ended up getting in a bad fucking accident. Mac, who was the singer of Early Graves, died in the accident. Two of the dudes were hospitalized. Um, I know friends who've like like a, a high percentage of people have died on the road um, or been in very serious, very life threatening situations. And some of one of the things that I just kind of have to say is like my fatherly advice, I guess, um, is think about this shit. Know you're gonna have trouble with money. Know you're gonna have all this kind of shit. Like know you're gonna come into situations like getting a hotel is really fucking hard. Um, it's probably gonna blow you out of money real quickly um getting a van that's going to be dangerous like the peregrine we toured uh 10-day tour um right after i got a van it was a like a 1990 uh ford conversion a kind of line it's pretty nice but like there was two dudes who were with us who were sitting on merch bins and uh, at some point i hadn't really like done an inspection because the van was sketchy as shit as, as we began um, at some point it appeared to have been towed um, with the emergency brake on so there was flat spots in some of the tires and on the way out to um, playing this uh, uh, what show was it on the way out to North Carolina we were playing Day of Suffering the Day of Suffering reunion um, so this is over 10 years ago Uh had a blowout on the highway and I was driving and it was like it really had to fucking hold on. I mean you're trying to keep a van that's top loaded or like that's top heavy from flipping while it's going into an embankment. It's hard. It's not easy. Um but yeah, I mean if we had rolled and there was a very good chance we were rolled then I this those guys would have been dead. Uh probably everybody. It was in nineteen ninety four to kind of line. They're not they weren't made for rolling. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but you know, really think about this shit, really know which it takes and what it entails and don't try to just emulate stories you've heard about other people touring and like be very cognizant about who can drive and how long they can drive. And I've been in many situations and I've mentioned in the last episode, like driving way too long. It's not fucking worth it. Like don't, don't try to be punk. Don't try to be like all this shit. Uh, and put everybody's life at risk because you also have everybody else in the van and everybody else who's any other vehicle on the road. Um, be really cognizant of that. Uh, you know, don't live fast and die young. Just live and die, hopefully later. Um, but yeah, be cognizant of that. But uh, in terms of other things that are potentially avoidable, getting your van broken into and having all your gear stolen, back-to-back bumpers. That was a fucking great tip that I got uh, was very stoked about that because you end up in some really sketchy situations also Walmart parking lots are cameras 
I mean, fuck Walmart, fuck all this shit, but like, there's a lot of safety there. I mean, a lot of people are unhoused. Everybody knows if Walmart parking lots are lit, relatively safe. Um, if you're looking for a place to stop on tour that you need to stay, if you're if you're pushing it too far and you need to stop, Walmart parking lots are the place to go for that. So outside of that, some gear stuff. Like, I know there's a lot of ideas in punk about, like, spending money and being materialistic and shit like that. Like, you can save yourself a lot of hassle by just accepting that if you're making music and that's what you're doing, you don't have to really overthink it. Most people record in a studio. Most people do things like dubs and overtakes. You know, I mean, I had ideas as far as the Agrarian Curse went. Like, I should be able to do all this in one take. And it, for the, honestly, for the most part, I did. Um... But I was also very cognizant of, like, it has to be perfectly. You have to be able to replicate everything perfectly live. And it's like, we can still play shit perfectly live, but, like, when you're playing live, it's not being recorded and, and, and isolated in all these different ways that makes it so that everybody's going to hear it. Like, take the time and make it sound the way you want it to sound and not hold yourself to some random punk standard or some kind of ridiculous shit. Um, but also, like, there's a lot of ways to record now that are free, cheap, easier. Um than, you know, four, four tracks and eight tracks and shit like that. Uh, so you can actually just, like, take the time and do it good. And also, like, you don't have to sit and think about, like, oh, I want to spend all this money on gear. You can go pretty fucking far with used gear and not, not spend a lot of money. So as far as guitars go, like, uh, I toured with um, ESP Guitars, LT line, LTD line, like, 400 series, 300 series. Like, the older 300 series were... were generally higher quality but like you get a lot of fucking guitar you get a very functional workhorse guitar um you know i was touring with guitars that i i bought for two or three hundred dollars like really good deals like right now things are hard everything's really expensive but like you could have a really stable workhorse kind of thing without having to be like overthinking it and having something that like you think is going to be worth too much money you can get uh you know an LTD like that, uh, an older ESP, or I'm sorry, an older Jackson, like a DK2, um, some even DK3s and stuff like that. Uh, there's times I've, I've got those guitars for like 200 or, three, two or 300 bucks used. Um, they're very solid guitars. They're very workable guitars. You can tour forever with them. Like, just, there's, there's ways to go about it that you don't have to like get too concerned about whatever whatever it is you're thinking you have to be concerned about you can kind of put it out of your head uh pb 5150 um 6505 line um that's a standard workhorse for metal uh and of course for punk it's great you don't have to go with like a solid state head and a pedal you can actually get something that's got better gain stages and articulation and saturation and it can sound really fucking good um in a lot of punk you can cover a lot of it with one of those amps and in, in most times, there's times where you get a, I, I bought it for as low as 400 bucks. You get a fucking PV cabinet, two, 250, they're workable. You get a Marshall cabinet for three to 400, like a 1960. Um, they're, they're really solid, really good cabinets. Uh, and you'll, you'll have that forever. Like the longest piece of gear I ever had was a Marshall 1960 BV. It's a 300 watt cabinet. And I mean, that thing toured a ton. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't have to go nuts on it, but you can get stuff that sounds really good and can hold up to touring, can hold up playing house shows, can hold up playing 
uh, venues that you're going to be mic'd at. Like, you know, take the time. Like, you can learn techniques. You don't have to be real bad about it. I've had a, I've, I told a lot of punk guitarists, um, play the wrist, not your arm. You'll be able to pick more articulately and you'll not expend as much energy and you'll be able to just play cleaner. Um, not less punk necessarily. Also, nothing wrong with playing more punk and putting more energy into it, but there's just various things you can do. And also, you can save a lot of money by just learning how to do some guitar tech yourself. It's not super complicated. And also, there's people like me who, if you're anywhere here, you're going through a tour. I, I don't mind doing fret crowns and refrets, or not refrets necessarily, but fret um, signing and crowning and stuff like that. I'll be your fucking guitar tech. You, there's probably a plenty of people like me who are just like, if I can help you out, if I can make your guitar play better and play easier, I'll help you out. Like that's, you know, people charge 200 bucks for that kind of shit. Um, or, you know, 50 to 100 bucks for a setup. Don't be afraid of a floating trim. Just have somebody teach you how. I can do that stuff. We learn how to adjust your truss rod. Um, there's my, for, for everybody who doesn't play guitar or isn't playing music, I apologize. Uh, that's probably a lot of information you're feeling for shit that doesn't matter to you, but that probably will help somebody, and um, that'll make better music that you can enjoy. So, you're welcome. But also, again, I'm being serious. Punk kids, you need help with learning how to fix your guitar and stuff like that, you can hit me up and I'll be out. But as the theme to this episode, you can also find your own sound. And a lot of stuff like Nebulation stuff is probably straight up Marshall. Uh, but I mentioned on the last episode, one of the bands that really influenced me from Ashes Rise. They've got fucking amazing guitar tone. Uh, Brad, uh, who's a guitarist, vocalist, one of the guitarist vocalists, and um, runs Audio Siege Mixing and Mastering now. Uh, has made a huge name for himself doing that as well, but uh, has, has an impressive discography. He was also in Death Threat. Um, like, he's, he's talked a lot about some of the guitars he's into. He's like real, like, cheap guitars that are very playable and just make the most of them. But uh, From Ashes Rise is a really fucking awesome sound, a really guitar, really awesome guitar tone, and that's an uh, Ampeg V4 head that they were running with, um, what's called a Rat. It's like one of the pedals that is big for punk sounds. And um, in fact, I could be very nerdy about it because I just double checked with them um, before recording this, but they did a big box rat with the OP07 OP amp in a VB4 loaded with 6550s. Or 6550s, yes. Um, so that's the detail of it. But you can make really cool shit. And like From Ashes Rise is another band that has a really metallic edge to it, but also like, again, in this punk realm of like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. From Ashes Rise was fucking huge for me. From Ashes Rise and His Heroes Gone Both had this whole aspect of them where it's just like, the song does what the song needs to do, and then it's over with. Like the standard idea, and this is something that's like pretty prevalent for how I write stuff for Peregrine. Um, and just my, my approach to writing in general, it's kind of like the thing does what it needs to do. And that's what it is. And like, that can be long. That can be short. It needs to hit in certain ways. And it needs to come along in certain ways. And it, and it has its own arc to it. But as far as like verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Like a lot of very standard kind of punk stuff. And well, standard fucking music stuff. Does not apply. Um, so it's like liberating to be able to have that experience. And also the reward of it is that these bands produce music that was 
fucking crushing in so many ways. And so let's play some From Ashes Rise. And that was Haunted Conscious, which was the first song off the Fragments of a Fallen Sky EP, which was the first EP came out in 1998. Uh, so From Ashes Rise is one of my favorite bands, and um, that first EP for me is like my absolute favorite. I think the two EPs are phenomenal. I have no, I love the other records, uh, especially Concrete and Steel. Um, but... Yeah, that first seven inch is like that really amazing confluence of metal, punk, hardcore, whatever. Um, just really fucking good, insane energy. I absolutely love it. And I will absolutely be talking about From Ashes Rise and playing more from them in the future. But that's a good one to get across. But to drive that point home even more, uh, let's follow that up with His Heroes Gone's Richter from the Dead of Night EP, which is also absolutely fucking amazing. Um, but 47 seconds with an intro. a complete and articulated idea and concept and song and structure and they just it does exactly what it has to and it's in and out so pretty fucking cool um and again like showing like the whole idea of like this this kind of anarchistic ethos that underlies a lot of punk you can do whatever the fuck you want um just mean it that's that's the whole thing there so Stoked to get those things across. I'd love to talk about that more. And I've got more His Heroes Gone stories, and there's been a lot of requests for His Heroes Gone stories. We'll we'll definitely come back to that. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. And um, so for the uh, last episode, all the information about where this podcast lives and everything like that, you can go to blackandgreenpress.org backslash these dash old dash dogs. It should be on platforms and stuff like that relatively soon. Um, yeah, you'll have more there. You can follow me on Twitter at Gathered Remains, uh, Instagram Black and Green Press, and then um, 
blackgreenpress.org has all my other shit, like all my projects and everything like that. And if you're interested in this, I certainly hope you check that out. Um, Peregrine is my band, peregrine.bandcamp.com. Uh, I do have a Patreon that does help a lot at the work that I'm doing. And then also uh, there's there's links on blackgreenpress.org about how you can support this project. Uh, I mentioned the last episode, I will mention again. Uh, if you're in a band you want me to play it, I'm not just nostalgic or anything like that. I'm definitely open to hearing new stuff and wanting to play new stuff and give attention to it. Um, consider all this stuff like a learning curve. In that I'm, I'm not trying to relive the past. I just want to say here's good and bad things about it. And this one has a lot of good stuff to say about it. Most of them will have a lot of bad things to say about it. But hey, it's the nature of it. Um, yeah, just hit me up, fairledge at gmail.com. That's F-E-R-A-L-E-D-G-E at gmail.com. Tell me about what you got going on. Tell me about your questions you got. Tell me stories. Whatever. Hit me up. Let me know what uh, what you think and what you want to hear about. Uh, so I mentioned that, like one of my favorite things is going to be talking about bands that I think are typically overlooked. And talking about that is Heroes Gone trajectory, uh, that kind of like apocalyptic kind of crust and I know that's not technically what they were, but you know, they helped influence the whole thing. We can get we'll get into it later, but I'll just piss some people off right there, and I don't care. Um, this band Skifosi from Australia. Uh, they're Illwins from Altopia. They had a couple records that are really good, uh, two seven inches, I think, and an LP. Um, really amazing. I got to see them in two thousand five, and that was really cool. Uh, at um, uh, I forget. Dude from Rambo's Fest. Um, yeah, I'm forgetting. Anyways, it was in Philly. Uh, but they're really good. These two songs, I think, go together really good. And this is in Shahala and Rumors of All Our Lives. So, that's it for episode two. I hope you like it. Talk to you soon. <laughs>